Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. The cup clashes are over for a little while and before half the teams go on a break that's not really a break, the Game Day Preview Pod brings you the latest ahead of the full round of fixtures, the last full round of fixtures, until the end of Fab Feb. Rogers rocked as Villa win a thriller. Now the Foxes have to focus on Frank as Chelsea come to the King Power. It's Jose versus Pep this weekend, but has that rivalry lost its allure? There's more interest in Manchester United, really, who are in danger of being thrown to the wolves. Also this week, can Surridge provide some cherry aid in front of goal as Bournemouth welcome Aston Villa and every other Premier League match previewed with the coordination and class of a Steps tribute band. It's the Game Day Premier League preview pod from TalkSport. This is Game Day Premier League preview show. This week on the pod, David Connolly is with us, having single-handedly broadcast the FA Cup round four to the entire world. Five commentaries, five days over the last weekend, about 2,000 miles. Have you not got any friends? Uh, No, I don't have a home life, so um, I'm like you, Sam. (laughs) Um, Alex Crook certainly has got friends. He came with me to Dancing on Ice in the studios this weekend. It was lovely to see him. And like a chameleon, he fits straight in. He was like a teenage girl who just signed up to Snapchat, but with less followers. Selfie Central, Mora... Barrowman, H from Steps, his favourite band. Maura did ask me, in fairness, if she could have a photo, so I was only being polite. Well, you started the show by lying. Um, why are Steps your most favourite band? Where did that come from? They're not actually, and I didn't have the heart to tell H. I'm actually more of an S Club 7 man than Steps, but, you know, I went along with your little gag. Have you been to see Steps in concert? No, I've been to see S Club 7 when they reformed a few years ago. What a night. <laughs> what a night. <laughs> Quite embarrassing. Better best forgotten, some might say, uh, which is what Leicester might feel about their Carabao Cup semi-final. Gone wide instead of Tielemans. And now Barnes, he's in cruise to shoot too. He prods it across here for Ricardo, And it's tapped in by Harvey Barnes. And Leicester take the lead. It's oh, winning delivery and it's a goal for Chelsea. Rudiger was up there, Espinacoeta was up there, wicked in swinging ball from a quickly taken corner. And I'm pretty sure it's Espinacoeta who got the last touch. The club captain delivers in a topsy-turvy dramatic game. Espinacoeta's fourth of the season sends the bridge into ecstasy. Goes out wide to Ricardo now, edge of the box, into the area to Perez. Trianacho, can he get a shot away? Can Perez get a shot away? He does! And it rolls into the bottom corner for four. Leicester against Chelsea. One team in blue against a side in a deeper 
shade of blue. Did you get that <laughs> reference? Is this going to go on throughout the entire podcast? You're going to run out of songs, uh, aren't you? Uh, Brendan Rodgers had not lost a domestic cup tie for five years since his Liverpool team were beaten by Jack Grealish and Aston Villa in a semi-final. And they were beaten by Jack Grealish and Aston Villa in a semi-final. And this has really crushed the sort of Leicester fans, hasn't it, who were hoping for a first trip to a cup final in 20 years, David. How much would this take out of the players? Because it was quite dramatic. Yeah, it was, I guess, um, a cruel way to lose right at the death. I've got to say, a brilliant ball in um, for El um, Mohamedi. Super. Yeah, absolutely tremendous, right on the money. So Damari Gray cleared, cleared the ball, and then as it fell to Alhamdi, he had Grealish out wide, and he sort of thought, oh, if I go and close the ball down, he'll probably play it to Grealish. I'll just stand off, really. I've got to mark Grealish. Just allowed Alhamdi to carry the ball and put in a brilliant ball, and I guess that's the effect even Grealish not in possession has on you. And uh, great goal, but yeah, that'll be a blow for Leicester. It really will. And the Leicester fans are talking about how they bounce back from this and they've been referencing big games that they've played before against Watford and lost at semi-finals of the playoffs and Palace in, in the relegation season. Big defeats, which they've then gone on and reacted to really well. Defeat to Chelsea will be the last thing on their mind, Alex, I suppose, now, because that would be terrible for them. Is this just the latest example, this game, that, that, that maybe Leicester aren't quite as good as people were making them out to be. Not quite the finished article, not got quite the strength in depth to to seriously challenge alongside the likes of, uh, of Manchester City and Liverpool because their form since the turn of the year hasn't been great, has it? I mean, they played really well against West Ham during that last midweek round of fixtures, but that was against West Ham. I think maybe... They've just played too much football. The players maybe have got a bit complacent. I mean, James Madison, for one, I lost count of the number of times he tried to shoot from 25 yards the other night. Maybe he's guilty of believing his own hype a little bit. And, and actually, as I say, Leicester have punched above their weight so far this season. And maybe now that's catching up with them. I don't think you can... I think Alex is bang on. I don't think you can dispute that. They are definitely punching above their weight. But you'll see in the next three, right? They've got Chelsea at home, obviously, Wolves away, and then Man City at home. So we will find out. And I think, you know, they are stretched, no doubt. Thankfully, Vardy looks okay because we're at the King Power and it looked like he'd done his hamstring, but it seems he seems to be over that because he only came on for the last half hour. Um, so he'll be back fit. And this will be a, a, a game, I think, that they'd probably look to get points off because I think Wolves away next one is going to be very tough. And obviously the Man City game. Uh, Chelsea did what Chelsea do when they played Hull at the weekend. They dominated the ball. They didn't finish them off. They invited them back in. It was absolutely crackers. I mean, the first match between these two was a great game that Chelsea should have killed off in the first 20 minutes. Didn't. Then let Leicester back into the game and they should have won it in the second half and they didn't. It should be a cracking encounter and it probably should be quite a few goals in it as well because these are two teams that seem to score and concede in equal measure at the moment. Yeah, it's probably not a week to fill your, your fantasy team with, with Chelsea and Leicester defenders. Obviously, we'll be speaking about that um, later in the programme. But I think it will be a good game. I think as a Chelsea fan, you're going to have to settle for the fact they are going to be inconsistent this season. They're a team of young players. Uh, therefore, it's difficult to, to maintain the upward trajectory even over the course of a game. And as you say, we've seen it on numerous occasions this season, even on the first day of the season, when they were really good up until Manchester United scored, ended up losing 4-0. I'm going to cling on to that because it's one of United's uh, rare highlights of the season. But ultimately, it's going to be up to Leicester, how they do recover from midweek, what that has taken out of them physically and psychologically. Obviously, Chelsea have had that extra few days rest. They left a few out against Hull as well. I think it might be a Chelsea win. Away from home, the rumour is, David, that Chelsea are better. But that was the case because they took 16 points from their first 18 available in the league this season. But on the road recently, they've taken just seven from the last 
18 and they've scored only seven goals in those matches. They, like Leicester, have hit a bit of a sticky patch because their results since the start of, of December have started to become just as inconsistent too. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, probably the Newcastle game, you might highlight as a typical Chelsea performance. They weren't particularly at their best. Could they see it out maybe and and still get a point? Instead, they concede right at a death, a ball in the box. Obviously, Steve Bruce sent another centre-half up and kept up. I know everyone's said about him and even Frank's now said he's got to try and cut out those mistakes. People say, well, could he have really saved that from a couple of yards out? I think he could have done a little bit better, no doubt. Um, but yes, away from home, what? how are they going to play? If you go back to the first game, you know, I thought that Leicester were guilty of playing in the wrong areas. If you remember Mason Mount went and won the ball high they got back in the game I think indeed he got a brilliant header Um, and obviously Madison started out wide left and it wasn't working and they only got back in when he played as the 10 so I think as long Mm. as they play Madison centrally I think they'll be able to pose you know Chelsea a lot more threats and it's that consistency who's going to play as the nine you know is it going to be Batshuayi you know who's going to play that number nine if Tammy's obviously not available they need somebody to play through the middle to go and get them goals Tammy will be available for this game, I'm sure of it. He will, will he? Uh, he'll shrugged off his injury and he'll play. Um, I, I, Batshuayi played last Saturday and uh, he, again, guilty of missing chances. Uh, no team has won more away games at the King Power Stadium than Chelsea in the Premier League, so it may well end up being three points for Frank, but I think it's going to be a hard-fought encounter that's live on TalkSport game day from 1230 on Saturday lunchtime. And obviously lots of talk about transfers between now and then. Uh, Crook, you're the transfer man of TalkSport this window. Can you confirm that any signings that are made between now and then need to be registered by midday on Friday, is it, so they can play Saturday? Yeah, that's the standard regulations for the Premier League and the EFL. If you are to play on a Saturday, you have to be registered, all the paperwork complete by midday, the 24 hours before a game, so midday on Friday and uh, yeah it's going to be interesting you'll hear it all across TalkSport all the deals that happen uh, and I I think again we're going to see a scramble from the clubs down at the bottom of the table to try and give themselves a chance of staying up I I don't see the likes of Chelsea and and Leicester being involved in too much deadline day activity and Chelsea have been linked with someone that nobody wants from uh, AC Milan but I think it's just his agent hawking him around uh, who he's been hawked to Tottenham Hotspur as well is it Piatek yeah that's it uh, Piatek who has been hawked around uh, most of Europe over the last couple of weeks, but I'm not necessarily sure that's what Chelsea need. This week, a masked mob threw flares into the property of Manchester United's executive chairman, Ed Woodward, which is obviously ridiculous, taking protests far too far, and rightly has been condemned by all sides. But what it does do is underscore this incredible strength of feeling, this depth of feeling uh, amongst the Manchester United support about what is becoming this sort of float into mediocrity. There's a, been a lot of analysis of the club this week, some wildly overspun accounts of Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's time in charge, some vastly overcritical of the manager, who clearly isn't Jurgen Klopp, but he isn't Mike Bassett either. Here's the fact, and United fans are, are probably going to have to take some sort of action to protest if they want things to change, because... It's got to be sensible, coordinated action if they're going to do that, because if they want to remove the Glazers, because one quick study of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will tell you what's going to happen over the course of the next 10 years. 
They were a team that were great in the 90s. The Glazers come in midway through that and they were consistent challengers for a couple of years, won the Super Bowl in 2002. They've done literally nothing since. They haven't even qualified for the postseason for 13 years. They've just drifted completely. And it's been defined actually over the last 10 years as the worst ever decade in the history of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And bearing in mind they were only formed in the mid-70s, that's not particularly a ringing endorsement of the ownership. Alex Crook. Well, you've cheered me right up. Thanks very much for that, Sam. Um, <laughs> I did take you to meet Steps, so you're all right for a couple of weeks. That'll keep you going, oh, just you, about. I'll tell you what, United is definitely a tragedy, isn't it? Hey! Mm. Listen, obviously... Well, the, the feeling's gone, and, and you know, and it can't go on. <laughs> We could do that. We could do this literally for the entire show. Um, listen, obviously those protests outside Edward Woodward's house were disgraceful, as you say, taking them far too far. I'm probably in favour of some kind of boycott from Old Trafford. I think the only way the Glazers are going to get the message is if fans stop buying tickets, stop buying merchandise. That's not going to happen quickly, judging by when I was last there. I went to the Norwich game uh, with my oldest son and they were literally queuing around the block to get into the megastore. That's all the Glazers mm. care about. But in terms of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you're right, he's not Jurgen Klopp. I'd say he's probably nearer Mike Bassett than Jurgen Klopp. But I don't think it's one or the other. I don't think if you're a Glazers out man, that means you can't criticise Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because it is possible to have bad owners and an inept chief executive and a poor manager. And I think Manchester United have got both. Um, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's handling of the Rashford situation uh, was lamentable. I think his in-game management is poor. When they were chasing the game against Liverpool at Anfield a few weeks ago, he brings on Luke Shaw for Brandon Williams. Talk to me about that. Um, I think his ability to motivate players is questionable. You look at the way Anthony Martial coast through games at times without trying a leg. You know, that wouldn't happen under stronger management. So... I don't think they've got the right man in, in the dugout. Well, you, you say that. You say that, that. That's not necessarily true, though, is it? Because you've had stronger management there. Louis van Gaal was in charge, and he's incredibly strong. Jose Mourinho is incredibly strong in terms of management. They're, they're, they're sort of arch headmaster types, aren't they? But yet, Anthony Martial behaved in the same way when they were the boss of the football club as well. I would argue he played better on a more consistent basis, particularly under van Gaal when he first really? arrived, and, and, and to a point under Jose when he was fit as well. Um, but in terms of this weekend, because this is a preview podcast, we should look at Manchester United against Wolves. Wolves are a side who traditionally have, have caused real issues uh, for United, beat them in the FA Cup last season, of course took them to a replay this season when really I think United just wanted the, the FA Cup progress probably more than their visitors and, and that made the difference. But they struggled to beat them in the Premier League. Wolves play with this high energy. Traore is going to be a real nuisance, although that was a, a good battle in the game at, uh, at Molyneux between Traore and Williams. So I hope Williams and not Luke Shaw plays at left-back this weekend. Jimenez, for me, is a player who would slot straight into that Manchester United team and be better uh, as a number nine than, than Anthony Martial. So I think there are a lot of players in that Wolves side uh, that, that United fans would take at the moment, and, and that's probably why it's going to be an even contest. Uh, him and is so important for Wolves. He's been directly involved in 20 goals in his last 22 appearances. David, what, what threat do you see Wolves posing to Manchester United this weekend? Oh, an awful lot. And um, I agree with Alex on here because I think if, if Oli had managed Rashford better, he'd probably be fit for this game instead of using him in the FA Cup. And look, the rest, I guess, is history for them. But Jimenez is, well, what an outstanding goal he scored against Liverpool. Anyone who watched that move, right from when it came into him, he came off short, linked the play, got turned, fed it out wide to Triore. He didn't just stand still. Then he absolutely broke his neck to get into the box. 
Great cross, and the header was just outstanding. I mean, him, Neto, obviously, is a tremendous player. Obviously, we spoke about Troyore. Yota seems back fit now. I mean, they're going to pose an awful lot of threats to that United back line. And if I was, say, Nuno, and I, I guess he he's probably planning this anyway, I'll be putting Traore through the middle up against Phil Jones. Anyone who saw, I know it was only Tranmere, but saw that game, yes, they showed a great attitude, United. You know, the pitch was poor. They'd had 120 minutes in their legs, Tranmere, but still Ferrier up top for them. Of course, Phil Jones, all sorts of problems just with his power. He wasn't particularly quick, but you imagine Traore up against Jones and Harry Maguire. You know, it's going to be, a, they're going to go from chalk and cheese with these two games, you know, and um, that could be dangerous for them. Would you bring Bruno Fernandes straight into the starting eleven since the start of the 2017-18 season? He tops the Portuguese Premier League uh, rankings for most goal involvements, most goals from outside the box, most chances created, most shots, most shots on target. That's pretty impressive statistics. I think it might be, look, I'm not saying they're in a desperate situation, but it might be a sign of desperation that you, you parachute someone in. I think he went back, he's gone whatever he is. I don't think he's been in Manchester for, say, I don't know how long. He's there now. He's there now. So imagine, play okay, him. if he stays there now, would he start? Play him. I don't know. I'm what, not so why sure. Why would you not play him? He's fit. He's been playing regularly for his club in Portugal. United have been you crying just out. 50 million quid for him. They've been crying out for an attacking midfielder to, to get goals from midfield, which, which they've been lacking, and someone who can supply Martial and, and wake him from his slumber. I think he's got to go straight in. United can't afford to write off games. If, if they're going to catch Chelsea, they have to win this game. If they don't win this game... You could argue that Wolves are better equipped to finish fourth than United are. Yeah, and of course, they'll be inspired. Whoever, uh, whatever the result of the earlier game, obviously will have an impact on the approach for both these two teams. Because if Chelsea end up slipping up and dropping points, then they might sniff the possibility of trying to nick that fourth place from them. And actually, you mentioned that Manchester United have struggled against Wolves recently, but at home, they've got a very good record against them. They're unbeaten in 11 home matches against them. If they win this one before their break, maybe it could set off a, uh, a chain reaction. You could go off on a on a, a little run, possibly. Uh, right, let's whiz through the other matches, three other matches. Uh, we'll dip into the velvet bag, randomly pulling out a game for each one of our panel to preview in 60 seconds. It's our new feature. The velvet bag this week contains West Ham Brighton, Watford Everton and Palace versus Sheffield United. OK, uh, who wants to go first, David or Alex? I'll go first. More chance of getting West Ham Brighton that way, haven't I? Don't give him it. Watford versus Everton. Oh, that's the one I didn't want. Can you prove it? I can't see it. <laughs> there it is there. And your time starts now. Uh, this is obviously the Richarlison derby, and I fancy Richarlison's going to want to put on a bit of a show against his old club. They're an interesting one, Watford, because I was talking uh, to someone the other day about the teams that could go down, and I forgot about Watford. I think just because of the revival that they've been under, under Nigel Pearson, I thought, oh, no, they'll be OK. But they're back in the relegation places, aren't they, after that late yep. defeat against Aston Villa. And this is the first real test of how far they've come under Nigel Pearson because they've lost a big game against one of their bottom three rivals. So, uh, as we've been talking about, it's all about bounce-back ability. How do they recover in what is a tricky-looking game now? Carlo Ancelotti has made a difference at Everton, not least to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who I think has got a real chance of getting in that Euro 2020 squad when you look at the injuries that England have got. I think it's going to be a good game. I think there'll be goals in it. And the battle between Deeney and Calvert-Lewin, two strikers with very contrasting styles, I think could just decide it. And I don't know, it could be a sticky one for Watford, you know. They could be in more problems come the end of the game. He was struggling to get to the finish line there, wasn't he? <laughs> I was waiting it was like for a, the whoosh. It was like a, 
like an aging veteran who couldn't get to the 90th minute and was desperate to be substituted right right at the very end. And here is David Connolly, by the way. <laughs> who is going to preview for us. Uh, oh, Palace versus Sheffield United. Your time starts now. Well, this will be, I think, uh, another very close call. Two sides. Sheffield United, I think, have been arguably the team of the season so far. Up against... Crystal Palace, who won their day, have been proven so hard to beat, but they were really poor last week against Southampton. Weren't really at the races. I thought Southampton came with a really good game plan, scored two great goals against them. But Sheffield United have shown on their day they have got some terrific players. Now, the key for them is can they keep it going? You know, are they able to keep hold of the likes of O'Connell who's been linked with Tottenham are they able to get those front two scoring goals there's talk you know possibly one or two moving on but on their day the front two as we saw at the Emirates you know he's got the ability within that squad he can change shape he can get players to come off the bench he went to a diamond they seem to have this never say die attitude that British core to them which is proven really important now can they go and catch up would they be able to tag on the back of Man United could they approach possibly that fifth place playoff you just don't know and I think for those United players this will be a game they'll really fancy okay well done um, okay so that leaves me with West Ham versus Brighton well, how bad are West Ham United? They don't score any goals. The defence is poor. The atmosphere inside the stadium is absolutely toxic. No one wants to go there and watch this team, which isn't very attractive to see. Anyway, they're banging the relegation mix. I'm going to make a big prediction now. I actually think that they will end up going down this season. The reason I think that is, is if you look at their schedule over the next few weeks, if they're not in the bottom three and stranded and on their way out of the division by the time we get to the end of March, it'll be an absolute miracle. They've got such tough fixtures. They've just played Liverpool. They've got to play them again. Arsenal, Wolves, Chelsea, Spurs, Manchester City. All of those games are upcoming in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, and, and they'll have to win a lot of big games towards the end of the season if they don't pick up the points, which I'm sure they won't, against those teams if they want to stay in the division. Um, Brighton, I suppose, will look at this as an opportunity to pick up some points. They haven't been particularly good at all. Um, one win in the last 10 in all competitions. And the big problem is scoring goals. Mopay hasn't scored for ages. The defence is leaking goals and Duffy's now out, even though he wasn't being used anyway. <sighs> That was a roller coaster ride. Right, let's get to a key game at the bottom of the table where, fresh from semi final success, the Villa are trying to pick off the Cherries. Grealish on the edge of the penalty area. Heavy touch, but he gets it out to Trezeguet. Spilled by Foster, but slammed into the roof of the net by Douglas Louise for the equaliser. That could be a big, big goal. Aston Villa tried to survive in the Premier League. With Philip Billings, a touch for Fraser, back to Billings, who then spots the run of Callum Wilson, tries to pick him out over the top. It's headed away by Stevens, only as far as Salaki, and then it falls for Harry Wilson, who smashes it into the back of the net. Uh, Manchester City, Mings in the penalty area now, and there's Kunsa! Oh my gosh, Aston Villa right to the death, and grabbed a goal in injury time. David and I were at Bournemouth on Monday night. Not sure how much they really wanted to win that cup tie, but they will want to win this one. They played okay, didn't they, David, after that tactical switch after 35 minutes in? They they sort of had opportunities in that game, but then couldn't take them. I I wonder whether or not they can take advantage of a bit of Villa Cup euphoria, because this is a really big one for both these two teams. Well, it's certainly, yeah, this is massive, especially for Bournemouth as the home team. They were 
really poor in that opening period. They were so passive, just didn't get close at all. As you said, when they changed formation, when they put Ryan Fraser out wide on the left, they started with a 4-4-2, basically, against Arsenal with the idea, you know, to go and press them up high and have two in the box. But They didn't it, do much pressing. No, Crikey. they didn't. Well, what was really good is, is, actually, is actually looking at how Arsenal played, which caused them the most problems. So the two centre-halves, the right-sided one went to the right-hand side of the box. The central one went to the middle of the box. And then, obviously, Xhaka ended up as the left-sided centre-back. It pushed Saka high as a winger. They had the opposite it fullback high as a winger two wingers came inside and they were just it was basically like a 5v2 against Bournemouth in the middle of the park so it was it was really hard for them and they just couldn't find a way Surridge came on he got his goal I'm sure that would give him a little bit of confidence afterwards Eddie Howe was pretty bullish saying you know I think the team I think we are strong enough but I mean if they can carry some of that second half performance into this game yes but if they I guess, continue as they started against Arsenal, then no. Look, the game against Brighton was a massive one. You know, they got three points there and I thought they were brilliant. But this is, I think, for them, they're running out of games. This is this is as near enough to a must-win as any. Do you think, Alex, and you spend more time down there than most, that they can put a run of results together? Oh, um, I'm reluctant to say no, because David Connolly has been reminding me for the last six weeks that I wrote Southampton off, as you did as well, and, and they've been on... An incredible run. <laughs> Don't try and then. share the blame. Um, but I just can't see it. And, and, and for me, that, that first half an hour in particular on Monday night highlighted all that is wrong there. I can understand why Eddie was so furious because there is only so much a manager can do. Uh, presumably, he didn't send the players out there and say, here's the tactic tonight, just give Arsenal the ball because that isn't going to work and it didn't. You know, Arsenal had so much possession. Bournemouth was so timid, uh, didn't press them. Just showed a lack of energy, lack of endeavour. I don't want to pick out individuals, but Ryan Fraser is is not the same player. He hasn't become a bad player overnight, but clearly something is, is not right there, whether it's the contract situation that is really getting to him, I don't know. Um, Dominic Solanke... And that's borne out by the statistics, isn't it? I mean, the, ultimately, he's had he's 17 uh, assists in the Premier League since the start of last season, but 13 of those, or 14 of those, came last season. I think he's had about three this season yeah, just that, hasn't been effective enough and that's got to be the on the players shoulders that's not Eddie Howe because he still sends out the team in the same formation that he has done really since they came into the Premier League they've always played with two wingers uh, they've always tried to play on the front foot so, so Ryan Fraser needs to step up to the plate but he's not the only one Dominic Solanke for all the praise that he gets and he played quite well against Brighton got a couple of assists for, for bringing other players into play they've paid £20 million for a striker they would expect him to score goals or at least get himself in the position to score goals. I thought he was dreadful the other night as well. Surridge, who's just a young lad, been recalled from Swansea, didn't really put up any trees there, but he was much more effective when he came on. And I do wonder now, has Dominic Solanke run out of chances? He, he averages a goal every 194 minutes for Swansea, Sam Surridge. I mean, he very quickly got on the score sheet uh, for Bournemouth. Um, but he, is he the answer? I mean, is it possible that he's the answer? Because David and I, during the commentary on Monday night, were discussing you know, the, the idea of they had the option to bring back a player from loan um, in order to bolster their attack. I know what you're going to say They didn't here. choose Jermaine Defoe. Yeah. They chose Sam Surridge. Why did they do that? I mean, David was like, scratching his head thinking, you know, I if it was me... It would be Jermaine Defoe they brought back. I don't think they had an option, did they? I think the Defoe deal was a, a bit more complicated. I'm not convinced there was a, a recall option. I think he's just agreed to to sign a full time contract. But he did have in him. Obviously, summer. he had him as part of his squad until he felt well. Yeah, but at that time, Callum Wilson and Joshua King were banging goals. Defoe couldn't get a look in. It, it, it looked a sensible decision to, to send an aging Defoe to Ibrox. It, it's easy with hindsight 
that the fact he replaced Defoe with Dominic Solanke and then Wilson went off the radar. And Joshua King hasn't been fit now for a number of weeks. And that's made a massive difference because he was probably their, their most effective attacker up mm. until he was injured. So they have had injury but problems. But Solanke was last January he signed, wasn't it? So, yeah. so he had both from there. I mean, Solanke, to me, he's completely gone. His confidence is he's not good enough. Um, and he's not the number nine for them to, to go he's and be He's not even holding the ball up. No, no which, is, which is the key thing. If you're not offering goals and that, that's what you can do for your team. Look, he, he did okay against Brighton, but certainly Surridge in one minute, you know, was that little fox in the box. But they're going to need a little bit they're going to lead a little bit more, I think. And if you're if you're Aston Villa, you'd probably be rubbing your hands, thinking, "Well, you know, this is a game that we could go and possibly win." And I disagree with you about Villa, Sam. I, I don't think there'll be any kind of after Lord Mayor Shaw. I think they're going to be absolutely buzzing when they come to the South Coast on the back of reaching a cup final. Uh, Jack Grealish looks a man on a mission now to almost single-handedly save his hometown heroes. And Bournemouth need a bit of that. As I say, Eddie can only do so much. It's the players now who need to stand up and be counted. Yeah, Philip Billing has said that he is not going to allow another relegation. He suffered um, last season with Huddersfield Town and he came out, I think, in the build-up to the Arsenal game on Monday night saying, I'm going to make sure that we're we're not going to get relegated. Two in a row ain't happening to me, blah, 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 blah. That attitude needs to sort of permeate from a lot more of the squad, doesn't it? It's easy to say that. I mean... Bournemouth and Huddersfield fans will say they've suffered having to watch Philip Billing over the past couple of seasons. He's been dreadful since he got to the vitality. He was poor for Huddersfield. Hey, get off that fence. <laughs> no, but it is easy to say. You know, there's a lot of talking to be done. Do your talking on the pitch. And Billing, having been signed for big money, is one of those players who definitely needs to step up. The problem is, well, not the, they'll know this, obviously, the people at Bournemouth, but 90% of their revenue comes from the TV money. You know, out of all the sides, you know, the arguably got the smallest stadium yeah. that's where all their money comes Not from arguably. and uh, well yeah so you know there you go they're under huge huge pressure and the smallest fan base and I suppose the other problem is is that in terms of passion it's not like you've no. got a baying mob who are trying desperately to uh, change the manager because they're not happy about what's happening on the pitch. I think they know their place in the world. They're not, obviously they don't want to get relegated, but there's a lot of supporters that are going, yeah, but we're Bournemouth and we've spent most of our life in the fourth and third tier. So we're not going to complain about the fact that we're struggling to stay in the Premier League this season. Hold that please, level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Let's get to the Dream Team section of the programme. Sean, head of social for Dream Team FC, is here. Hi, Sean, are you all right? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for stepping in for Andrew Butler this week. We'll talk about Burnley against Arsenal, Newcastle against Norwich. Let's start with the Gunners. Gabriel Martinelli is looking to become only the fourth player, aged under 19, to score in three consecutive Premier League appearances. Can anyone name the other three? Marcus Rashford. Nope. Federico Makeda. Nope. Doing well here. Aren't Anyone I? else could have a guess? Nope. Danny Cadamartery. Oh, wow. Tip of my tongue, that was. Yeah. Francis Jeffers. And um, one other Merseyside based player. Rooney. Michael, Michael Owen. Owen. Hey, I got it. I just got it. <laughs> just got it. Just before the buzzer. <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so is he a dream team contender, Gabriel Martinelli? Sean, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as you say, big game, mid-table clash, 10th against 13th. Um, level on points at the moment. Um, <laughs> he's up for their Player of the Month award at Arsenal. Um, and you'd like to think he's quite undroppable, I'd say, at the moment, uh, considering the form he's in. Um, so he, he might keep his place in the team. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, just 0.5% of dream team managers have him in their side. Uh, and that's quite staggering considering he's Arsenal's third highest point scorer this season on the game, uh, more than Lacazette and Saka as well. Uh, so a real talent uh, and only 2.7 million. So a, a relatively cheap option. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he lines up for that one. Uh, I mentioned Saka there, of course. He's their fifth highest scorer on the game uh, at 2.2 million. Uh, so if you're looking for that cheaper option... You won't find many better for that price inside the top six, I'd say. I think you're right. I think those two would be great signings. They were superb, um, weren't they, down at Bournemouth, Sam? Really, really good, those two, Saka yeah. and Martinelli. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is back and available for Mikel Arteta. So it's a bit of a gamble picking him because ultimately that configuration of that front three is quite difficult, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, this, um, it does complicate things for Arteta somewhat, given that the form you know, that Martinelli's in. Um, it could mean Pepe drops out. Um, it could mean Martinelli starts ahead of Aubameyang. I'd be surprised at that, admittedly. But it'd be interesting to see how Arteta shuffles that, that front three. Uh, but as I say, it's, it's so hard to drop him at the moment. It'd be interesting to see what Arteta does. David, he, he might drop Lacazette, mightn't he? Because um, he, he seems to keep taking him out of games. It's something that's been a bugbear of yours. Yes, I mean, I look, we saw him, didn't we, against Sheffield, and I think they, it cost him the game, really, when he came off. I thought Nketiah just didn't get hold of the ball, but even if he starts on the bench, Martinelli, you think he's got that in his locker, as you showed against Chelsea, he can grab your goal. He seems like just a pure goal scorer, and whether he's like a, an Henri, one of those who starts wide and ends up through the middle as he gets older, mm, you know, wow. or he's just starting wide at this moment in time because he's not really ready to take the force of his back to goal. Sure, Either yeah. way, he's going to get you goals. He'd be in my dream team, so even if he comes off the bench. Did you hear Adrian Durham, our own Adrian Durham, compared him to Federico Makeda a couple of days ago? <laughs> I don't know how good he is, Martinelli, but certainly he's impressed Mikel Arteta over the last couple of uh, weeks. And he, he said, you know, I, I didn't realise he was this good until I saw him in the flesh. And even in training, I've been blown away by him, but we're just trying to keep his feet 
on the ground. Uh, Burnley are on the rise again, aren't they? I mean, they've, they've got a good victory away at Manchester United the other week without playing particularly mm. well. Um, should we be looking at Wood and Rodriguez? Yeah, yeah, as you say, I mean, you know, they've, they've hit that infamous 30-point mark now, so you'd think that's them safe in the Premier League. I know Newcastle obviously hot on the hills, but, um, I mean, as good as their forwards, you know, Wood, Barnes and, and Rodriguez have been, uh, it's been their defence that's been the real highlight in Dream Team this season. Uh, Tarkowski is their second-highest point scorer on 66 points. Only 1.1% of managers have picked him so far, so quite surprising considering you think Burnley are, you know, a relatively safe option uh, for fantasy. Uh, so interesting to see they've gone down that route. Um, he's actually got more points this season than likes like Wan Bissaka at United, Egan at Sheffield United, Tamori at Chelsea. Uh, so quite the season for him as well. He does tend to pick up the Starman Award when Burnley do get that clean sheet. Uh, and again, like Saka, uh, Burnley have got a lot of cheap options. There's no one in their squad more than three million pound on Dream Team. What about a goalkeeper? I mean, Nick Pope has been superb. Surely he's got to be worth a gamble. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's their third highest uh, point scorer, 61 points so far. Uh, 1.8 million again, so not even two million pounds. Wow. Um, a real bargain. 1.4 percent of managers have got him. So as I say, as as good as they have been going forward this season, uh, their, their defence has been the real winner for, for on Dream Team. Yeah, Newcastle United have got a good goalkeeper as well in Martin Dubravka. They've won seven of their last eight home games against Norwich City. That's our next game that we're focusing upon. The last two meetings in the Championship featured really late goals between these two. I quite fancy, and don't ask me why, Joe Ellington to score here because he's getting closer and closer and closer, isn't he? He is, yeah. Um, and you know, on paper, you'd, you'd look at this and think it's surely a win for the home side, but it's, it's never quite that straightforward with Newcastle, is it? They uh, they really can surprise you, and quite the week for them. I, you know, talks of a takeover in the press, Rafa coming back as well. So um, a lot of you know spinning cogs there going on. But I, I'd back that, as you say, Debravka as well um, has had a very good season. Their second highest point scorer. Pookie. Well. I mean, I was at Camera Road for the reserve uh, reverse game. Yeah, and yeah. They were, I mean, Norwich were brilliant. Jolington mm. was awful. Couldn't hit a barn door, and nothing really changed since then but Pukki yeah. he's had a little bit of a dry patch but still he's scored three great goals against him what would he be? Uh, so he is 3.3 million at the moment on Dream Team uh, and that, that brings me on to a nice little quiz question that I've got for you uh, just four Norwich players are currently active in the Dream Teams of, of Dream Team players only four of their entire squad can you name me those four players? Um... Campwell Pookie um, I reckon the goalkeeper Krull Campwell, Pookie, Krull One more Max Aarons Nope not Wendia. Wendia. No, no, Wendia. Wendia. There you go. Those four, the only four Norwich players currently picked. I said that about an hour ago, Sean. Clean your ears out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as I say, uh, I mean, perhaps unsurprising that given their league position, that they're not too. Well, you popular. couldn't pick a defender, could you? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but four point six percent of managers have picked Timu Puki, as we said. So he is quite popular, despite Norwich not being particularly popular. Um, and that's more managers have picked him than. Anthony Martial at Man United, which is quite surprising. Understandably, though. Danny Ings as well. More people picked Pukin than Danny Ings and Lacazette as well. So a very popular man in Dream Team terms. Okay, I noticed that Alex Crook's eyes lit up as soon as the word quiz was mentioned. It was like some <laughs> member of Steps had walked in. All of a sudden, he was starry-eyed and desperate uh, to get a selfie. Um, right, thank you very much. Uh, Sean, we appreciate that. Uh, two more big games, including Sunday's trip to London for the Champions and the Champions-elect welcome the Saints. 
on the edge of the box. Dorian across and Deli Ali knocks it in and Tottenham are ahead. Here's uh, Jesus, does well to hold off his man, finds De Bruyne. De Bruyne into the box and Aguero! Inevitably, he's only been on a few seconds, but it only takes him a few seconds to get on the score sheet. He's tapped in from the Kevin De Bruyne cross and Manchester City have the lead. Here's the Celso though, into Deli Ali, tight angle gets the shot, it's deflected in, and there's Sonda at it home! And Tottenham are ahead once again! It's a stroke of luck! It's a slice of fortune for Spurs! Good to see Sean, who'll be keeping a keen eye on Tottenham against Manchester City, I'm sure. Jose against Pep. Once the clash of managerial icons, it's their 23rd meeting. Jose's lost a lot more games against Pep than any other manager, but no one believes they're going to get anything other than beaten here, right? No, probably will be a Manchester City win, won't it? I mean, I saw Tottenham at Southampton at the weekend. It was a good cup tie. Um, probably a draw was the fair result, but I think they're lacking in a lot of areas. Spurs, I'm, I'm a bit puzzled, actually. I, I spoke to David about this during the commentary. Obviously, when Harry Kane's been injured in the past, the, the tendency has been to push Son into a more advanced striking position. They haven't done that this time. Son's o- occupying a, a wide left position. Lucas Moura through the middle. Would it not be better the other way around, David? Well, possibly. I, I felt actually Tottenham were much improved uh, on their last performance against Southampton. I mean, they moved the ball much better, quicker. Um, they retained it better. I thought Son, actually, that's where the goal came from, from him being out on that left-hand side. And yes, I guess, you know, he could, maybe could do a little bit more damage through the middle, but as long as you get the ball and feed it wide to him. Lo Celso, I thought, was, was, yeah, was really, really good. good. Man of the match. Well, no, don't think he was. Redmond was man of the match, but he wasn't far behind Lo Celso. Um and I think that, that Spurs... oh, did, he, did he pull the Trump card out again? <laughs> so we did this thing on Talk Sport when we were all commentating, and Alex has been commentating with uh, David. I've been commentating with David because everyone's been commentating with David because he's done so many commentaries over the last week. Uh, but you're asked for your man of the match, and you're supposed to discuss it between you as a commentary team. Basically, oh. he just pulls rank, doesn't he, Alex? I mean, you and I can have an opinion, but yeah. this guy, yeah. if he's decided that, that 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 particular player is getting the man of the match award, that's it. We, uh, don't, we don't get a say. Yeah. Not, I don't think that's strictly true. I think I am asked as the co-coms, as the, you know, ex-player to give right. my man of the match. Um, so th- that's what I, I do. I think you said to me, senior partner of the commentary team, didn't you? And you were <laughs> no, trying I to don't... teach me. I think that's, that, what that, you said that's just there. by the number of grey hairs on his beard. Like <laughs> but I think, look, if Tottenham, they've just signed Bergwijn. If he plays, you know, he's a real talented winger. Um, he can go off both sides. I think that's another sort of talented boy that they've got in their ranks a bit like La Celso. yes they've lost Ericsson but you know they've, they've compensated and it looks like they've signed pretty well in this window I've got to say Spurs so I think they'll be quietly confident they can put up a, a decent lot of younger players here. though David yes. and yes. players that not necessarily are going to step in and replace Harry Kane I was going to say mean, Bergvine's what uh, 22 years of age no, 30 he's, million pounds he's a speedy not, physical winger yeah. but is that what they need they yeah, need a striker they you know, need a, striker. an out and out number 9 and he, he can play in that position he has done uh, I think during his time in Holland but he's not a like-for-like replacement. And I think it's this thing, isn't it? And and you may have even mentioned it, Sam, in one of your Tottenham commentaries. 
is he a protected species, Harry Kane? Is it is a manager scared to bring in any kind of competition because Harry Kane has to play every minute of every game? It's bizarre that they feel they don't need a backup striker. Well, maybe they, they feel they need it, but they just haven't got the one they want. That doesn't mean you don't add pieces to the jigsaw elsewhere if they become available. I mean, 20-odd million, whatever it is, for Bergwijn, 22 years of age, to me, seems like a good deal. Let's also the money for him, 27-odd. Seems like a good deal. There's no reason not to add those pieces yeah. to the jigsaw until whoever you want up top... Because look, they've had others, haven't they? Vincent Janssen, wherever it may be. Not Laurent, serious competition. You know, they've never had, no, because that's going to cost but, but, a big But David, bucks. the problem is, and you can wait and wait and wait until that person, whoever that mystical figure may be, is available. But ultimately, they don't need that mystical figure in the summer. They need him right now because Harry Kane is out until the summer. And and that urgency, that, that need to go and get someone to fill that gap was probably the priority of this January transfer window, wasn't it? And and that has not been addressed. No, it hasn't. But if you tell me who's a number nine out there that they could go and get. They could have got Callum Wilson in the summer. No, but now. They could have probably now, got Jimenez. They're not, they're not going to sign Callum Wilson now, obviously, or Jimenez now. There's, who's well, going to fill that void now? They could have got Olivier Giroud, couldn't they? He's available. Well, there's another short-term, is it a short-term solution? Which it might work, well, but Maybe might that's not. the only thing you can do at this stage. I don't know. It seems like the signings they've got are, you know, ones that they're going to bed down for the future and they'll just ride with, you know, whether it's Son or Maurer as their strikers. Okay, we will see. Lucas Moura. Um, only versus Everton have Tottenham won more Premier League matches than they have against Manchester City. Uh, indeed, seven of Spurs' last ten league wins against Manchester City have come on home soil. You never know. Um, let's go to uh, the game between Liverpool and Southampton. Southampton don't really like to go to Merseyside at the best of times. They've won four of their last 40 trips to Everton and Liverpool combined. But South Coast Steps fan... What are the chances of an upset here? Or will this be five, six, seven, eight? <laughs> it was a couple of years ago they went to Anfield under Mark Hughes and his game plan was, was to, quote, keep it tight for as long as possible. I think they were 3-0 down after 20 minutes and his, his half-time team talk was to say, look, damage limitation now, let's just stick 10 men behind the ball and not get hammered. I don't think Liverpool added any goals in the second half. And I think it... I was going to say it might be similar, although I don't think, and this seems really churlish, Liverpool are not quite playing the swashbuckling, swaggering, attacking football that maybe they were even last season. So I, I don't think they're necessarily a team who are going to be set up to go and score five or six goals. No, and what they've done, David, and you and I have witnessed this as well, is that they've got themselves ahead in matches, then they've managed the game, strangled the game, and stopped other teams from scoring, which is why... Uh, but Shrewsbury aside, they have hardly conceded a goal in the last two months. It's a bit Mourinho-like when he was at Chelsea, isn't it? And he had the likes of Aaron Robin and, and, and Damian Duff. They get to 3-0 at half-time. It's a bit Antonio Conte-like. Yes, you saw against Wolves that although it might be tight, whatever it may be, they do have that quality. And what a goal from Firmino. You know, I've spoken about Firmino before in terms of Izzy. I know some of the lads, some of the teammates of his think he's the best player they've played with. He doesn't necessarily grab the headlines like Salah and Mane, but, you know, you see him, give him a chance. He's got that quality off both feet. His left foot is equally as good as his right. It reminds you a bit like Son in that regard. You know, his, his actual mm. technique when he strikes a ball is superb. So I think it's going to be a tough game for Southampton. But do you know what? Is it a bit of a free hit? Possibly. Liverpool against Liverpool B. <laughs> he is the glue, isn't he, Roberto Firmino? OK, let's turn our attention to the commentator's curse. Players or clubs, we will put the mockers on this week by giving a reason as to why we think they'll do well or otherwise in this round of matches. Um, usually by picking a quirky statistic that underscores our point. 
right. Alex, do you want to go first? Gladly. Uh, Liverpool against Southampton is uh, my main focus this weekend. Liverpool with this incredible unbeaten home record. And I've got a list here of Liverpool players who have never lost a Premier League game at Anfield since joining the Reds. And it is quite considerable. Alisson, Adrian, Virgil van Dijk, Andy Robertson, Fabinho, The Ox, Naby Keita, Jordan Shakiri, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah have never lost a Premier League game in a Liverpool shirt at Anfield. That is remarkable. Let's hope it comes to an end this weekend. Mm, interesting. David, what have you got for us? Well, by a quirk of fate, it's actually the same game. So I'm going to go to the polar opposite oh. of Alex because Southampton have got four away wins in a row. The last one, obviously, against Crystal Palace. So yes. they're going for the record fifth in the Premier League. I think the last time was under Koeman. Um And can they do it? Well, if they do, they'll equal the record of five, which was set in 2011. And that's when I was at Southampton. Scored against Brighton and we beat him 2-1. Me, OJ Font, got another. Can they do it against Liverpool? Well, you know, I'm going for that they might completely upset the apple cart here with Liverpool B or some of the signings Liverpool A against Liverpool stroke B or the feeder club. I think they might do it. I don't think Southampton would be too happy about you calling them the feeder club, although there is the Silk Road, isn't it? Yeah, up the uh, M3, A34, the uh, M40, then the M6 to Liverpool. It's been a well-trodden path over for the last many, few years. Yes. It's great, actually, because uh, Liverpool chuck a load of money at Southampton no, for their Marne, players. For Marne, and, yeah. and then And then Bournemouth give it all back to Liverpool for, for their <laughs> rubbish reserve. So it's just a great little setup. <laughs> uh, right, OK. On Tuesday night, in their last game in January, Aston Villa won a thriller in the cup against Leicester. Now, did you know that Aston Villa have won none, zero, absolutely zilch of their last 15 away Premier League games in the month of February since a 2-0 victory over Blackburn in February 2009? Now, that run spans 11 years, 15 games and six different managers, O'Neill, Houllier, McLeish, Lambert, Sherwood and Remy Gard. Oh, Remy Gard, yeah, he was a Premier League manager once. Uh... So, they might not be cherry-picking this weekend. It's a good chance for Bournemouth. There's my research done for uh, Game Day Live. Thanks very much. That'll be my intro. You could also have said hey, Villa no, haven't no scored problem. a headed goal this season. And they've actually got, I think, the second harsh crosses into the box. And Samata, who's joined, I think he scored half his goals from headers. So, Villa could end up getting a headed goal. That yeah. could be my commentator's curse. It's probably a better one. Look at that. He's not brought his own commentator's curse all season. Now he's brought two <laughs> in one show. Um, right, David, senior partner, uh, we'll see you again very soon. And uh, Alex, uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, your week. I'm sure you'll be chortling home now listening to the uh, S Club 7 Greatest Hits, of which there must be about three. Harsh. There's at least four. Game day takes us to Leicester versus Chelsea this weekend. Bournemouth against Aston Villa. And to Old Trafford, where Manchester United take on Wolves. We'll be back next week. Remember, we are your full-service podcast for the whole weekend. Our previews on a Friday and Thursday, with a verdict on Sunday morning and Danny Kelly's record book on Monday. You can download us from Acast, from Apple, from Google, or from Spotify. That's it for this week. We'll see you soon. That was a game day Premier League preview show, a Talk Sport exclusive podcast.
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.